Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. begin worship. There's one name under heaven whereby we are all saved, and that is Jesus. So we're going to lift the banner of Jesus here in this place together, in our homes, and wherever we're viewing together this morning, as we sing about the only King, Jesus, this morning.
It begins with openness. The willingness to come alongside someone else. To pour out. Care. Invest. It's about sharing the journey. Doing life. Together. Growing. Forging. Becoming. It's about selflessness. Caring enough to walk through the valley. Even when it's painful. To love people as Christ has loved us. It's rejoicing when they rejoice. Hurting when they hurt. Being a hand. An encourager. A friend. We were not created to wander alone. For as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And that's what we've been talking about is community. That we are together. God calls us together. He gave us that purpose that we are not meant to live and do life alone. And today we're going to be talking about how we can grow together? How can we encourage one another? How can we sharpen each other uh, as iron sharpens iron? And that comes from Proverbs 27, 17. And that is a calling to help us understand that no one is alone and that God doesn't want us to act alone. And, you know, as we've been going through this study together and as we're going to look today uh, in today's message, but we're going to see that showing that genuine care and love for one another helps us to grow. Um, also engaging in honest conversations. That's how we're going to grow together. Um, and then building those genuine relationships. So have your notes ready as we're going to do that a little bit later in our service today. Go ahead and look inside of your bulletin. There's a gray connection card. Uh, feel free to uh, fill that out anytime during today's service. But there's some things on the back of that card as, as well. And we'll look at that a little bit later as um, we're going to be challenged to make some commitments together in this service today. And then you can do that online as well through the digital connection card you're going to find in the, in the chat window there online as well. Well, I'm going to invite you to stand once again as we continue worshiping. We're going to sing about the joy that we have because of who Jesus is and how he helps us to overcome the challenges we find in life. I've got joy in the struggle. I've got peace in the storm. Got strength in the battle, I don't fear anymore. I'm a child of heaven, and my hope is secure. I've got joy, cause I've got Jesus.
done and continues to do in our hearts and lives. Go ahead and have a seat. We have a new song we want to introduce to you this morning, and maybe you're familiar with it um, if you listen to Christian radio. But it's Jaira is the name of the song, and that's a Hebrew word that we can find in Genesis. And uh, we can see that in the story of Abraham and Isaac when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. But right before he was going to do that, there was a ram that was in the bushes. And uh, God said, stop Abraham, because he had provided a ram as a sacrifice. And so um, that word means that God is our provider and God is providing for us um, in those situations and circumstances that we might find ourselves in today or maybe next week or even tomorrow. But God is our provider and he is enough. And so that's what I want us to remember as we sing this song. And maybe as you uh, maybe sing this chorus in your head this week, those moments that you find yourself where you're like, oh, I just can't take this anymore. I can't take that next step or I can't do it. And uh, I want you to lean on him as your Jehovah Jireh. I want to teach you the chorus before we sing the song this morning so that you'll feel comfortable to join in with us when we sing it. So it goes like this. Jaira, you are enough. Jaira, you are enough. And I will be content in every circumstance. Jaira, you are enough. Would you try that with us? Jaira, you're enough. Jaira, you're enough. And I will be content in every circumstance. Jaira, you're enough. Would you stand as we sing that together this morning? is enough for us. Yes, Lord. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud I'll never be more loved than I am right now Going through a storm but I won't go down I hear your voice carried in the rhythm of the wind to call me out You would cross an ocean so I wouldn't try Yeah. 
him today for being enough. Trust him. Step out in faith today as you do. And you'll be able to say that it is well. And so he's here in this place this morning. He's ministering to our hearts. And so through the circumstances, trust him today.
together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can declare, that we can say today, that we can testify that it is well. That, Father, in the midst of things that might be happening in our lives, Lord, that you are our provider, that you are enough. And so we thank you that your love conquers all, you tell us, and that we are, are victorious because of what you did for us. And so today, Jesus, as we come to this moment where we're coming to your word, Father, and Lord, learning today how we can help each other grow, how we can be, as Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, that iron that sharpens iron, Father. So help us today as we look into your word. Lord, I pray for those who may be listening today who don't know you yet. Father, they don't have uh, that that security of knowing, God, that all is well because of who you are and because of your sacrifice, because of what you did for us, Jesus, how you made that way for us to have eternal life, a relationship with you. Jesus, I, I pray that today would be that day that they discover that relationship with you. And so, Lord, now as we come into this moment to come to your word, to hear what you say, Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear and I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And, and as you settle in, and I do as well, I just want to say not only good morning, but welcome to week four of 40 Days of Community. And what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on what we just sang about, how you and I can find it well with our souls. And, and the reason I can say that and how we can do that is to recognize God's goal for life for you and for me. Because when we're here on earth, God's goal for us, His primary goal, is to see us grow spiritually. In other words, to see us become more and more like Jesus. To use Paul's words, He wants us to be transformed in ever-increasing measure in the likeness of Jesus. And that's why Paul said this to the Roman Christians. He said, from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to Him, and notice this, and all along He knew who would, should become like his son. So the point that Paul is making is God wants you, God wants me to grow in Christ-like character. And today what we're going to do as a community is we're going to see how we can help each other do that. Because as we've been saying for these last four weeks is we can't do it alone. We have to do it together. God intends for us to grow closer and more like Jesus in the context of a community. That's why Paul said this to another group of Christians, the, this group from the city of Thessalonica. Here's what he wrote. Encourage each other and build each other up. Now the question I hope you're asking is how do we do that? How do we encourage one another? How do we build one another up? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to do it by looking at four specific practical ways that we can help each other grow up, to be, become mature in the faith, to become more and more like Jesus. So let's just jump in. Here's the first thing we can do to help each other grow, to become more like Jesus, and that is by affirming each other's worth. 
The first way we can do that to help each other grow is by affirming each other's worth. And as you write that down, let me tell you what I think is something we all agree on, and that is every one of us here is hungry for affirmation. Now, even those of us who would say, no, I'm secure, I value myself, I'm happy with who I am, I get that, but I've never met a person in my life who's not hungry for affirmation. What I mean by that is I've never met a person in my life who said to somebody, no, no, please don't affirm me. I've had all the affirmation I could take. I don't need your encouragement. I don't want your encouragement. I've never met anyone that's not hungry for affirmation. If you still don't believe me, here's, what, here's your assignment. Go home after lunch and flip on Netflix and watch just about an hour randomly surfing an hour of reality TV. And what you'll see in doing that is that people, all, people like us will do all kinds of crazy things to get other people to applaud them, to get other people to affirm them, to get other people to accept them. Why? Because we're hungry for affirmation. We're hungry for recognition. Now, that's why we do it, but let me suggest this to you. When we do it, we're really being like Jesus. In other words, we're really doing God's work in the world by affirming one another, encouraging one another. And and, and so, folks, the first way I want to talk to you about how we can do that is this. The first way we can affirm each other is by showing each other acceptance, by showing acceptance to one another. Take a look at what Paul writes to the Roman Christians. He says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Now, if you're like me and you read that and you stop to think about it, then you realize, going, that's a pretty tall order to accept one another, to accept one another the way Jesus accepted us. And, and it is a tall order. But let me give you just one practical way that you and I in the church can show acceptance for one another. And that is this, in the context of a church family, in the context of our, even our small groups, the way we get to show acceptance for one another is by refusing to judge each other's weaknesses in light of our strengths. I'll say that again. The way we can show acceptance to one another in the context of the church, in the context of the small group, is by refusing to judge one another's weaknesses in light of our own strengths. Now, here's what I mean by that. Let me give you a couple examples, and I'll think it'll make sense to you. For example, let's say you have a passion for children, and you have a gift for teaching. Let me tell you what your temptation is going to be. Your temptation is going to look at people that don't seem as passionate about children's ministry as you are, and people who are not engaged in children's ministry as much as you are, and your temptation is going to be to look down your nose at them and say, you know what, if they love Jesus the way I love Jesus, if they value children the way I value children, then they would be involved in children's ministry. Let me give you another one. If you have the gift of hospitality and you're an extrovert, I can almost guarantee you, you love entertaining. You love opening your home to people. You love showing hospitality. And the temptation for you with that gift mix and that personality, that shape that God's given you, is to look at others who are introverted, who don't have the gift of hospitality, and say, you know, if they just love Jesus more, if they were just committed to the church and the mission of the church as I am, They would be much more willing to be a small group host. You see what I'm talking about? All of us can do this. All of us could fall in the trap of judging others' weaknesses in light of our own strengths because we usually find the strengths and passions in our life and then set ourselves up as the standard by which we evaluate everyone else. And yet here's the reality, folks. When we do that, we're ignoring the fact that God, by His design, has given each and every one of us unique shape. He's given each and every one of us a special set of spiritual gifts and passions and abilities and personalities and life experiences in order to equip us 
to fulfill a unique place and purpose in the body. And then God takes us with our unique gifts and he brings us together so that the body, the local church, the body of Christ has all the gifts and abilities it needs to accomplish the mission that God has for it. Does that make sense? And so this is why Paul writes what he did in in Romans chapter 12. It's an extended passage, but let me read it to you. I think it's important. Paul writes this, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of us. So there's where the judgment comes in, not of other people, but of ourselves. And it's to be sober judgment. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ, though many, do form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So if you have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. So if your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, the point Paul is trying to make there is just what I've shared with you, that folks, rather than rejecting one another, judging one another, looking down at one another because we have different gifts and abilities and a passion, Paul says, no, no, no. What you need to do instead in the body is you need to leverage those differences and you need to appreciate and accept those differences. And Paul says that, and I share that with you, because look at what else he says to another group of Christians. These are the Corinthians, and he says, God works in different ways, but the same God who does the work in all of us. And so the point we need to get, folks, is we need to stop insisting, and all of us can be guilty of this, stop insisting that other people in the body think act and value the same things we think value and and act like because we don't are not to be trying to mold people into our own image we are instead to be encouraging and affirming them to grow in the image of christ and god has uniquely shaped each of us to do that in a unique way here's the second way we can affirm one another and that is with attention with attention paul told the galatians give special attention to those who are in the family of believers And folks, I would just say to you, we recognize that most of us, that's one of the real perks, that's one of the real benefits of being part of the body. But if you're here a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, you may remember that Paul said something very similar about paying attention and valuing unchurched people. And that's because these are two heads of the same coin. But here's what I want us to understand. The reason Paul tells us to pay attention to both groups of people is for this reason. Because what gets our attention gets us. What gets our attention gets us. That's why Jesus said there in Luke, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. In other words, folks, we give focused attention and time to things we truly value. We give focused attention and time to things we truly value. And so here's what I want to suggest to you, and some of you will need to think about this, some of you immediately will agree with it, but folks, I would suggest to you that the greatest gift we can give another person is our time. And here's the reason I say that, because folks, we can get more money, we can get more stuff, but we can't get more time. Now some of you say, you know, wait a minute, Jerry, how can I get more money? Folks, we can get more money. We might not like how we could get more money, and I'm going to talk about doing something illegal and moral. But we all get more money. It might be I need to take a second job. It might need I, I mean I might just sell some things. It might mean I need to give up some 
some things that I enjoy doing in my life. But folks, we can, if we desire, to come up with ways to get more money. But there's not a single one of us that could do anything. And now Jesus said this, to add a yet another moment to our lives. There's not a single thing that you and I can do to add another second to our life. So folks, when we give people our time, we are giving them something we can never get back. We're giving them part of life, and we never get to live it over again. We never get it back. And when we do that, whether we realize it or not, intuitively, people understand that we're communicating worth and value to them. We're saying to that person, you mean enough to me that I'm willing to give you a part of my life, a part of myself. And so the third way, just moving on, the third way we can communicate um, affirmation is really with affection. Now, don't panic. I'm not going to tell you to go out here and start hugging people. Just relax. But take a look at what Paul wrote. He said, love one another with brotherly affections as members of one family. The point is, Paul is saying that as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the family, we're to communicate and demonstrate love to one another. And he gives us a definition of what that love is. He calls it brotherly affection. Now, let me simplify that for you. Brotherly affection really can be simplified down to this. It's devotion. It's deep devotion to one another. That's why David wrote, he said very clearly that there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Now, if you know the context of Psalm 8, more than likely he has, he has Jonathan in mind. Because in that psalm, he's talking about how God saved him from his enemies, including Saul. And Jonathan did that, if you know the story of David and Jonathan. But it's saying there's a friend who sticks closer than brothers. So brotherly affection really means, and it leads you and me to go the distance and go to the mat for one another. In other words, when things get tough, we step up. We don't step away. We, we stay committed to one another, even in the difficult times of life. Well, here's the final way. We can communicate affirmation to one another, and that is with appreciation. With appreciation. Now, folks, any of us that ever bought a home or a piece of property understands appreciation, don't we? Because we bought that land, we bought the property with the hope that it would increase in value. That's what appreciation means, to raise something's value. So when we appreciate another person, what we're actually doing is raising their value in their own eyes, in our eyes, and those who are listening to us express appreciation. It raises value. That's why Paul said this, brothers and sisters, appreciate those who work hard among you, who lead you in the Lord and teach you. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If it's been a while since you've done it, even if it hasn't, if you have a child in children's ministry, if you have a grandchild in children's ministry, then I'm going to encourage you today to thank that teacher. Thank that teacher. If you have a small group leader, thank them. Folks, I want to encourage you as you leave today to thank the ushers, to thank the greeters. Thank the tech team, the worship team, the coffee team. I certainly want to encourage you, if you're in a 40-day small group, that this week, sometime, maybe at the start of the group, would you just look at that host and that small group leader and say, thank you for opening your home to us. Thank you for leading our group. Folks, appreciation is one of the ways we raise the value in other people's lives. It's the way we communicate and show affirmation that we affirm their worth to us. Well, that's the first way we can help each other grow through affirmation. The second way we help each other grow is by praying for each other's growth. Praying for each other's growth. Take a look at what Paul told the Colossian Christians. He said, Epaphras always prays for you that you will grow to be spiritually mature. 
Now, Paul doesn't tell us a whole lot about Epaphras, but one thing he tells us is incredibly important, and that is this man was so committed to the spiritual growth and maturity of his brothers and sisters in the city of Colossae that he prayed for them on a regular basis. Now, having said that, here's what I want to observe, and I've noticed it over 40 years of small group involvement, folks. The reality is I would see most small groups, we do a good job, in fact, many times a great job praying for one another's physical needs, our relational needs, our financial needs. But folks, here's my question. How often and how much time do we commit to praying for one another's spiritual needs, specifically that we help God works in such a way that we grow in our Christ-likeness, that we grow in Christ-like character? Again, based on 40 years of small group participation and leadership, I would say to you, based on my experience, we probably don't pray as much as we should. And part of the reason why I suspect is because we don't know what to pray, how to pray. And so here, I would just want to walk you through this morning just six biblical prayers from the New Testament that we could pray for spiritual growth. These are prayers that were prayed by the apostles, by the writers of the New Testament for others' spiritual growth, and they really can be a model for us. So just follow along there on your outline. The first biblical example of praying for spiritual growth is written by Paul, and it comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19. And Paul writes this, I pray that you will be able to feel and understand how long, how wide, how deep and how high Christ's love really is, and to experience this love for yourself. So there's just an example that if you have someone in your group, someone in your friendship circle who is struggling for whatever reason with really believing, experiencing, sensing God's love, then you can take that prayer and you could pray it over them and pray it for them. You can say, God, in this moment, in this difficulty, this trial, whatever it is, would you help Tom? Would you help Mary? Would you help Sue sense your love and how deep and wide and high and long it really is and make it true for them? Help them experience it in this moment. So that's one prayer. The second prayer comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21, and it says this, I pray that you will always be eager to do what is right. Now, I threw that in for parents and grandparents, Sunday school teachers. Folks, we can pray that for our kids. We ought to pray that for our kids. We ought to be praying and for our kids and our grandkids, God, help them to choose what's always right. Help them to choose what is moral, what is God-honoring, what will build them up rather than tear them down, what will build others up rather than tear them down. We can pray that prayer for the people in our life. The third prayer is from Romans chapter 15. It says this, I pray God who gives hope will fill you with much joy and peace while you trust in him. And so again, if we have a group member, someone in our friendship circle, someone that we know in the church who is struggling, going through a difficult time, a loss, a tragedy, we can pray, God, help him, help her to trust you and fill them with joy and trust and peace as they lean into you in this difficult, trying, painful time in their life. We can pray that for the spiritual growth of our brothers and sisters. The fourth prayer is simply this. God's, I, we, we read, I pray God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Again, if you know somebody who's struggling with a difficult decision, a life, maybe a life-changing decision, a life-altering decision, you could pray that for them. Say, God, give them wisdom. Reveal your will for them. Reveal your purpose for their life. The fifth prayer is from 2 Thessalonians, and Paul says this, I pray that the Lord will guide you to be as loving as God and as patient as Christ. Now, pop quiz. Do any of us think we have that down in our lives? 
Do we know anyone in our small group that we think has that down perfectly in his or her life? Of course not. And my point is, the reason I say that tongue-in-cheek, folks, that's a prayer I can guarantee you. We could pray for every member of our church. We could pray that for every member of our small group, every member of our family. We can say, God, continue to help us demonstrate the patience of Christ. Give us in the love that, Father, you have for us. Help us to embody that. Help us to experience it. The final prayer says this, I pray that God may strengthen you with power through his Spirit. Again, if you know someone in your group, in your life, who's going through a difficult, painful time, you can pray that for them. God, give them power. Give them strength. And it may be physical strength. It may be physical power. It might be spiritual power. Whatever it is, you could pray that for somebody in your life feeling overwhelmed. Now, having said all that, I think you've already made a couple assumptions that I think are right to make. The first one is we certainly, as individuals, can pray that prayer for the people in our small groups. And we should pray that as individuals for our brothers, our sisters, and our small group. But here's what I want to encourage you to do, small groups. I want you to make a point of praying those prayers for one another in your group. Make time in your small group to pray like that for the spiritual growth of one another. Now, I know what you're thinking, because again, I've led small groups for a long time. Some of you are thinking, but if we do that, we're going to have to make more time for prayer in our small groups because I know how small groups function. Most of us wait to the last five or ten minutes of small group and then we try to push through prayer. That's a bad way to say it, but that's kind of the way it feels like at times, even groups that I've led. And so to do that, to really pray like that, to pray for the spiritual growth of one another, we're going to maybe have to move where we put prayer. We might have to start our group with prayer. We might have to move it to the middle of our group. But the reality is, folks, even though that'll take more time, and in fact, I promise you, and I've done it before, many of you have as well as leaders, if you led for a while, you've started with a prayer and your group turned into prayer, didn't it? And on the surface, if we're about getting through the study, you might say, well, we can't do that, but let's go back to the purpose of groups. Why are we in groups to begin with? We're there in a group to deepen our relationship and to grow us closer and deeper with Jesus. We're not there for snacks. We're not there to socialize. Those are great things, but those are not the goal. And folks, I honestly cannot think of a better way for us to deepen our relationships with one another, to know each other better, to care more fully for one another, and become more like Jesus than by spending time together in prayer. Nothing will draw us closer like praying as a group. And so I encourage you to do that. Well, let me give you the third way we could help each other grow spiritually. And this one... Well, just, I'll give it to you, then we'll talk about it. The third way we help each other grow is by admitting our own struggles. And make sure, please, that you include our own struggles. Healthy groups admit our own struggles. Unhealthy groups admit everyone else's struggles. We need to be about the process of sharing our struggles, our personal struggles, with the members of our small group. Take a look at what Paul writes. He says, tell each other the truth because... We all belong to each other. Now, again, there's many, many ways we need to do that, but one of the most foundational levels and the easiest and introductory level for some of us, because many of us are just getting started in our group, is just by being honest with, we, with one another about what's going on in our lives. In other words, coming to our group, coming to that prayer time, or as we're taking prayer requests, say, you know, guys, I just got to be honest with you. I'm really struggling with doubts about my faith right now. I'm struggling with doubts about my job my life, my purpose. It might mean we look at our group after a bad week or a bad day and say, I'm really discouraged. 
Or we're going into a review or going into a difficult conversation at work the next day and we say, I'll be honest with you, I'm really anxious right now. I'm frightened. Or in light of what we talked about last week, we might need to look at our group and say, guys, God's been talking to me about forgiving someone and the truth is I'm really struggling to do it. I'm either unwilling or I'm terrified or both. We need to learn to be honest with what's going on with, in our lives with one another. Now, I, I know practically and theoretically all of us agree about that. I don't know anyone here. I would guess that no one here would disagree with me in theory that we ought to do that. And yet practically, if we were honest, many of us would say, Jerry, yeah, good idea, not going to do it. And the reason we say that is because somewhere along the line, we tried being honest with other people. And our vulnerability was betrayed. Our honesty was taken advantage of, and suddenly, instead of being prayed for, we're getting talked about. And folks, I want to talk to you about that for a second, because I'm going to share with you in just a moment some incredible benefits that come from small groups sharing the truth with one another, being honest about where we're at. But if we're not careful with that, if we betray that vulnerability, we betray that trust, we will not experience these benefits. So let me just give you some small group rules. As some of you know, many of you probably are have in place in your group. The first one is what's said in the group stays in the group. The second rule is when someone says, don't tell anyone, who's included in anyone? Everyone. It's an IQ test. Everyone is included in anyone. So that means we don't go home and tell our spouse if the spouse wasn't part of the group. It means we don't go home and tell our friends. We don't go and tell our hairdresser or our mechanic. When they say, don't tell anyone, that means everyone. Now again, let me just speak to this because I've heard this far too many times. Well, I don't keep secrets from my spouse. And I respect that. And I want to tell you something. You should not keep secrets from your spouse related to your life and your struggles and the things you're dealing with. But folks, when someone else says, please don't share this with anyone, I've not told anyone this before, but they're, they're inviting you into sacred soul in their life. And it isn't about you not keeping secrets from your spouse, it's about you and I keeping confidences. Somebody has trusted us with something, they've asked us to make a vow to them that we will not share this. And we need to honor that. Because if not, folks, I'm telling you, that this, what I'm going to share with you, the benefits and their incredible benefits, some spiritual necessary benefits in your life and mine will not take place in our lives. If we don't have groups, we don't have relationships where we can keep confidences, where we can trust one another to share the truth. So let me share with you in light of that, that disclaimer, that encouragement to be people who honor confidences in our groups. And let me share with you four benefits that come when we take that risk. And here's the first one. It brings emotional healing. It brings emotional healing. James wrote this, Amid your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now folks, there is a big difference between forgiveness and emotional healing. A big, big difference. See, the reality is, we understand theologically, we believe with all our hearts, at least I believe with all my heart, that we can confess our sins to God and instantly have those sins forgiven. That is something we base our life on. It's something we base our faith on. But here's the thing, folks. Many of us have done that. And yet, if we're honest, many of us still struggle to feel forgiven. Many of us still struggle to, to let go of the guilt 
And the reason why is because there's a big difference between being forgiven and experiencing emotional healing. That's why James said, admit your faults to one another. He didn't say admit it to the pastor, admit it to the priest, or even admit it to God. He said, admit it to one another. For then we'll be free. Now, he's not saying that I somehow or you somehow bring forgiveness. God is the only one that gives forgiveness. But to help one another receive that forgiveness and accept that forgiveness, many times we need someone else to embody it with us. We find it too hard to believe that God could possibly forgive us for what we did, what we said, or who we've become. But when someone who embodies the love of Christ demonstrates the love of Christ to us, suddenly we find it a little bit easier to accept it. Now, having said that, I want to say to you, I do not recommend, in light of what I've said about trust, that you go and do this with everyone that you know. In fact, I would discourage that. But I would encourage you to find one person that you know you can trust, one person who is a trusted, reliable friend, and share it with them. Especially if you're struggling with truly accepting God's forgiveness. Because when you bring that guilt out of the darkness, it disempowers it. The devil loves to use the guilt and shame that you and I carry to accuse and, and destroy us and control us. But suddenly when bring it out of the light, Jesus said what? The truth will set us free. When we share it with God, admit it to God, admit it to others, we find freedom. We find true forgiveness many times for the first time. It's been available, but finally, finally we could receive it. That's the first benefit. Give me, let me give you the second benefit. And that's a fresh start. Take a look at what Solomon said. Anyone who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Again, another one of these theological truths that we stake our lives on from the Bible. Nothing you have done, nothing I have ever done is beyond God's forgiveness. Again, I know some of you are thinking, Jerry, what about the unforgivable sin? I'll tell you what the unforgivable sin is. I've studied under brilliant men and women, and I've gone over and over this with them. And here's the consensus of all the scholars. The only unforgivable sin is the unconfessed sin. That's the only sin that God can't, can't forgive. He says if we confess our sins, His faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Not some, not most, all unrighteousness. So, folks, the reality is when we come to that place where we say, God, forgive me, God can and will in an instant forgive us. But to receive that forgiveness, to experience that forgiveness, we must first admit that sin, that fault to God, and then accept as a free gift his forgiveness and a fresh start. But again, as I've said, many of us struggle to do that. And that's why I'm going to say to you, one of the most important things you could do in your small group one of the most important things you could do as a fellow brother or sister in Christ is to help people receive and accept God's forgiveness. You say, how in the world do we do that, Jerry? I'll tell you how we do that. By repeatedly, continually reminding one another that God loves to give second, third, and 300 chances. God is faithful and just to forgive us. God will forgive us if we'll come to Him and confess the sin, own the sin. But many of us struggle but through being truthful with one another, we can find ourselves set free from that. Well, the third benefit of honesty is we get God's power to change. Take a look at what James says. James says, when you bow before the Lord and you admit your dependence upon him, God will lift you up and give you honor. In other words, what James is saying, folks, when we're, we're honest enough to say God's God and I'm not, 
When we're honest enough to say, you know what, there's issues in my life that in my own strength, in my own power, I cannot conquer, I cannot defeat, I cannot control. When God sees that and hears that from us, when God sees that humility, and that's what he sees, he begins to pour grace into our lives. He pours grace upon grace. That's why James earlier in that same chapter wrote this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And grace is simply God's enablement in your life and my life to change the things that we know need to be changed, that we want to change, but we feel powerless to change. And God's grace and forgiveness and presence in our life makes it possible. The final benefit of honesty in your group and in your life is deeper fellowship. John the Elder writes this, If we live in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. Now, many of us mistakenly think, because what we talked about the other week, that our greatest relational fear is rejection. Many of us think that if we are honest with, one of peop- with other people in our group, in the church, in our lives, people will reject us. And again, the reason we think that is many of us have experienced that. But I want to tell you something. God will never reject you when you're honest. God will never turn away from you. And I want to tell you something else. Good, honest, authentic Christian people will never reject you as well. They might look at you and say, you know what, your struggles are not my struggles, but guess what, I have my struggles too. You see, good, authentic Christians recognize that we all shuffle along on feet of clay, that none of us are perfect, and so none of us act shocked when someone shares with us a struggle that maybe is not our struggle, but we know we have our struggles. So in humility, we extend grace, we extend mercy, we extend love. And when we do that, instead of rejecting people and ending up with shallow relationships, our relationships deepen. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because the reality is we all like to be around people that we say this about them. What I see is what I get. We're attracted to people like that. We're attracted to people who, are, who, who aren't false, who aren't wearing masks, that are genuine. And so, folks, when we're honest with one another, it actually, actually deepens our relationships. Now, having said all that, I want to say this. I really believe with all my heart that God's brought some of us here today so he can, in his work in our life, set us free from our falls, falls, our failures, and even habitual sins. But before he could do that, folks, we have to surrender them to him. And then for many of us to break free of that as well, we need to share that struggle with at least one other trusted person. We need to become accountable to a brother or sister. Well, let me give you the final way we help each other grow, and that is by encouraging each other's commitments. By encouraging each other's commitments. Paul told his apprentice Timothy this, keep keep yourself in training for a godly life. In other words, Paul is saying, Timothy, it's an ongoing process. It's a never-ending process as long as you're on this side of eternity, on this side of heaven. You need to keep yourself in training. And again, there are many ways to do that, but let me share with you two very practical, relevant ways that all of us can do and should do. The first is we need to remain in a group where we need to get in a small group. Now, I know you maybe haven't joined one yet, but please, even today, take out your Connect card and and indicate that I'd like to join a small group, and we will get you in a small group as soon as possible, probably the start of the year, if not sooner, but we will help you get in a group. And the second thing I would encourage you, and we all need to do, is find a spiritual training partner. 
Because if you've ever trained for any kind of major athletic event, or really for anything, I guarantee then you found a training partner, and what you found with the training partner is you'll work harder and stay at it longer when someone else is with you. Because when you're ready to give up, they encourage you to, to keep going. When you don't want to show up, they encourage you to show up. The reality is training partners help us go further and faster in our lives, and that's true spiritually as true as it is physically. Now, you've heard me say many, many times before that you and I are the sum total of our commitments. In other words, your commitments and my commitments shape our lives. If you don't believe that, just, just try this exercise. Just go home today and write down your commitments. Just go home and list your commitments, and I promise you, if you would just net that out, if you would just take the trajectory of those commitments and move them forward 20 years, you'll know where you'll be and who you'll be in 20 years. In other words, if you're committed to financial stability, you can almost bank on the fact that barring a catastrophic, uncontrollable, forcing economic failure in your life, not caused by you, you'll be financially secure. If you're committed to, to spiritual growth and, and, and you have a commitment specifically to being a part of a small group, then I, I could promise you in 20 years you're going to find yourself with deep, meaningful friendships. The reality is you and I are the sum total of our commitments because our commitments don't simply shape and affect who we are in the present. They shape and affect who we are in the future and even who will be in eternity. They truly shape who we are and who we're becoming. Take a look at what Paul wrote about this. He said, I want us to help each other with the faith that we have. Your faith will help me and my faith will help you. Folks, over these last five weeks, we've repeatedly said that God has us here on earth to fulfill five purposes. And I've also shared with you, but let me say again, folks, the church exists and the church is here to help you and I make five commitments to make and keep five commitments that will help us fulfill those five purposes. Now, if you're here a couple weeks ago, I share what those commitments are, but in case this is your first Sunday or you don't remember, and I don't expect that that you did, but the reality is, let me just review with you those five commitments. The first one is a commitment to love Jesus. In other words, have a relationship with Jesus. The second commitment is to love other people in the family of God. The third commitment is to grow, and that's the verse where we started with today, to increasingly grow into the likeness of Jesus, to develop Christ-like character. The, third, the fourth commitment, folks, is to find a place of ministry, to find a place that you can take the spiritual gifts and abilities, talents, passions, and personality that God has given you and use it to serve others in His name. And the fifth, and, and one we spent an entire service looking at, the fifth commitment is to sharing the good news with others. So like ourselves, they can know the joy of having God in their lives, to having a relationship with Jesus. Now here's the reason I share those five commitments, folks. Because spiritual maturity in your life and my life is absolutely something to accomplish we must commit ourselves to. It doesn't happen by accident. We just don't stumble into it. We have to commit ourselves to spiritual growth. And here's why that's so important. Because one day, the Bible's clear about this, one day you and I are going to stand before God and He is going to ask us to give an account for the life that we lived. He's going to ask you and He's going to ask me, tell me what you did with the life that I gave you. And what he's really saying to you and to me is asking, did you make these five commitments? Did you make and keep these five commitments? And did you fulfill the five purposes for which I put you on the earth to accomplish? God is going to ask each and every one of us that question someday. 
Now, in light of that, here's where I want to end today. I want to ask each of us to answer this question for ourselves. What's the next step I need to take? What is the next step on my spiritual journey I need to take? For some of us, it might be the next step might be the first step, that we need to begin a relationship with Jesus. For others of us, we've done that, but we've never witnessed to that that step, that relationship with Jesus by being baptized. Our next step is to be baptized. Others of us, we need to take the next step of loving others by committing ourselves to a church family. Or others of us, we need to take the, make the commitment of joining a small group so that we could be in the process of growing in our Christian Christ-like character. Others of us, we need to find a place of service. We maybe have had one or have never had one, but today we're not serving. We're not ministering. And so we need to find a place of ministry. And some of us, we need to get serious about sharing our faith with our friends and our family members, the people in our lives. We've got to move beyond simply saying, well, you know, the church is doing that. The church is taking care of that. And we need to become personally involved in sharing our faith with others. I don't know what commitment next step you need to take, but folks, I want to encourage you, take it. Because your spiritual maturity and mine Where it is right now is simply a reflection of the sum total of our commitments to this point in our lives. And so we need to make some new commitments. But I'm going to suggest to you that we can't stop there because if we've seen anything today, we need to understand that God not only concerned about your spiritual growth and mine, your spiritual maturity and mine, His care, He wants us to care about the spiritual maturity of others in this church, others in our small group. And so the next question I want you to ask yourself is this, who in my small group do I need to encourage to take their next step spiritually? And folks, we don't need to be telepathic. We don't need to be mind readers to do that. If we're being a healthy small group, if we're sharing our struggles with one another, where we're at with one another, we should know that about one another. So who in our small group or who in our friendship circle, if we're not in a small group, do we need to encourage to take the next step in spiritual maturity? Folks, whatever it is, whoever it is, I want to encourage you to help them take that next step. Because Paul said, if you'll do that and I'll do that, not only will that person's faith be built up, but ours will as well. Paul says that's how it works. That's how God has wired the kingdom. When I bless you, I'm blessed in return. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to encourage you invite you to pray a prayer something like this. Would you just say to God right now, God, I want to grow spiritually. I want to grow mature spiritually. And so today, Father, I'm choosing to make all five commitments. First, I'm committing myself to giving myself completely to the purposes and plans that Jesus has for my life. And in that, I I give myself to testifying, witnessing to that relationship by being baptized, if, if you haven't already. And would you say, God, I'm committing myself to loving other believers by joining a church family in a small group. Next, would you say, God, I'm committing myself to growing more like Jesus by deepening my understanding of your word. And then would you say, God, I'm committing myself to serving you by serving others with the gifts and abilities you've given me. And finally, would you say, God,
I'm committing myself today to sharing the good news with others. The people I know, the people I work with, the people I live by, the people in my family, so that they, like myself, can know the joy of having you make your home in their heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for a church family to help us live out these five commitments. And Father, this week and in the days ahead, I pray that you will use each of us to affirm, pray for, be honest with, and encourage one another so that all of us together will become more and more like Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. As we wrap up this morning, Jerry lined out some next steps for us. So I'm going to invite you to take out that gray connection card once again briefly with me online. We'll put that connect link in the window there. But maybe you made one of those decisions this morning and that you would like more information on. In the middle of that, on the back of the gray card, in the middle of the, uh, of the card there, you'll see how that you can begin a relationship with Jesus or membership baptism, ways to serve, or small groups. Check one of those, and uh, we will contact you and talk more with you about those, uh, any of those decisions that you make. Also, coming up uh, on the 20th, we're planning to have a baptism service. If you want to be a part of that, you can check that, and we'll be sure to reach out to you. And then maybe lastly, you uh, thought of a person's name in your small group that uh, when Jerry said that you would commit to pray for them. Um, if you would, Write it in that blank box there to the side, and we will pray along with you uh, as you are praying for those in your small group. So we thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for uh, being a part of this series that we're doing, and I know that God's going to do great things as we walk through this together. Thank you so much, and I look forward to worshiping with you again next week. Hope to see you then. Have a great rest of your day.